Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. I'm Marshall. That's Nick. You can find us at hypercleanstore.com. Or for those of you that do like to use the app, we do still have the app. You can go hypercleanstore on your Play Store or your App Store, whichever you find more beneficial, Android or Apple. Hey, always go over to the Hyperclean Specialist Group on Facebook. For those of you that like Facebook, Nick, Nick, everybody's into Facebook. You've been back to Facebook. It's been a wide opener for you, but we always got to praise the guys inside the Specialist Group of how great they they handle themselves. Yeah, that's pretty much all I do on Facebook. Really, uh, is is go into our group. I I certainly see posts from others other groups and things like that. But ultimately, my my only thing that I enjoy is to do uh, things on the specialist group. And, and so, guys sharing work, guys sharing what they're doing on the weekend, some jokes about you know what beer, or what drink they want, or what food they're cooking. So it's it's a nice break from the normal internet, right? I mean, we don't see too many groups that are like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm drinking today from Coop Ale Works. They're an Oklahoma City-based brewery. I like a couple of their beers. This is Horny Toad. Not to be confused with all you horny frog fans, right? Like it, the, the horn frogs, right? Yeah, Those TCU go. guys, right? Interesting crew. Uh, are they going to be back up this year? I know we're not talking football. This isn't I'm a football sure. talk, but I, yeah. I have always enjoyed watching them. They're a fun, uh, a fun crew to watch. Inside of uh, inside of HQ and inside of uh, Vegas, we keep talking about there's a certain crew that we do like. You know some coaches. I find some coaches to be fascinating going over to USC. That's definitely yeah. another one that I, I'm going to keep my eye on, no doubt. Yeah, you know, my buddy's the defensive coordinator there at USC. But, you know, look, they're now a Big Ten school, right? So you got a complete realignment inside of college football. I, You know, I don't think it's better for the sport, but it is what it is, and you know, what I kind of do is when I have free time, I'll watch a good game on Saturday and call it a day, right? Like, yeah. There's too many people that worry like, oh, you know, what's going to happen? It's like, dude, you're 40 years old. Okay, turn the TV on, watch it, have a beer, relax. Yeah, be that's really all you should do, right, at that, at that point in time. But people do always get crazy. I'm kind of crazy over this beer. It's pretty good. It's a blonde, just a regular blonde ale. But those of you that like a good blonde, hey, I like blondes. They're good. There you good go. Good to go. All right, buy and sell. We're doing some buy and sell today. You want to do yeah, look, I got to buy. I, I, you know, we've had uh, Hurricane Hillary come into to town. So we had, what, two or three straight days of rain here in Vegas, which is kind of unprecedented. But one of the things that I'll say is it gave me time to catch up on, you know, my cult TV shows about cults, you know, Waco, learning about David Koresh. But I, I like that series. And then they released a five episode aftermath Waco, where they actually do the, the court case and all of this, which was interesting. But it gave me some insight into maybe some of your problems at HQ over there because wow. I didn't realize, you know, all the crazy people were in Oklahoma. Well, you yeah. know, this that's where it was all going down. And then they showed the Timothy McVeigh bombing, which I'm sure uh, you remember probably pretty vividly much more than I do. Uh, I obviously re- no, knew that it happened, but I wasn't extremely close to Oklahoma at that point in my life. But, you know, one of the great things that, I don't know, the internet and streaming has brought us is that's just sort of there. And when you have some free time, you can get to it, which wasn't always the case in our life. So I'm going to buy 
the ability when you have uh, a weekend get rained out, you can just kind of go and get caught up on some things that you, you like to watch. But, you know, like I said, gave me some insight into the psyche over there in Oklahoma with all the planning and bombing and Waco and, you know, I'm pissed about Waco and so I'm going to blow up an FBI building. So I actually enjoyed it. If you guys haven't seen it or if you're into that kind of stuff, I, I would say Waco Aftermath, if you watch the original series, is a buy for me. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt there's some weird stuff that goes out in Oklahoma, you bet. You ain't lying. You ain't lying. <laughs> hey, it brings it all into perspective for me. I mean, mm. the cultish was the guy that set up in some place and told people he wasn't going to eat until they gave money to his church so they could build buildings. Like, yeah, we, we do some weird, crazy stuff. You here know, you and, got Tiger King. I mean, you guys pretty much yeah. have it all over there in Oklahoma. It's a great place to live. Come join us. <laughs> Maybe not. Most people don't want to. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. All right. I am buying. No, I'm not. I'm selling. I'm selling this week. I'm selling the negative stigmatism that's revolved around the side hustle. Hmm. Interesting, yeah? Because there is a lot of negative stigmatism, if I could ever pronounce the word right. Uh, that's the Oklahoma education for you there, Nick. We're 48 out of 50. So, yeah, you know. I, was, I was like, I think it's called a stigma. Well, yeah, it's stigmatism. <laughs> same. Yeah. That's the I way we roll. That, I got to right? get my Scrabble dictionary out. I, I know, but so I'll prove to everybody, I should be buying KC strip steaks, right? So I proved it with a photo that we actually do market that there's a KC strip instead of a yep. New York strip. Well, I should be I buying. I'll post that into the specialist groups. But anyway stigmatism, stigma, whichever you guys want to say, potato, potato. There's a lot of negatives about people that do a side hustle. However, you meet, and we have specifically inside of our community, quite a few people that do side hustles. You talk to some people that are into, I mean, full-scale other businesses or accountants. I spoke last week to a really great guy who is a lawyer, right? I've talked to uh, surgeons, right? It's, it's really interesting how there's a negative stigmatism on the side hustle, but then inside of the industry, the side hustle also produces a lot for some really interesting people and they love and completely content with the side hustle. I think it's interesting too how there's a lot of more relaxation. Kava posted a smoking a cigar or listening to the Pints and Polishing podcast, right? He's into the side hustle now as he's transitioned. There's plenty of people that are side hustle and really enjoying what they do, enjoying uh, distribution as a side hustle. We have quite a few of those as we'll talk uh, going into what we saw this weekend, which was really cool. But how many people are, are using the industry, using the service and using HyperClean products to grow a side hustle. They're they're waving away from the people that hate on it. And and I'm selling those people too. And I'm selling the people that go, ah, oh, it's a waste of time. You'll never make it. You'll never do anything. Ha. Huh? Come on. Let's sell that negative stigmatism, stigma, whichever you perceive, and, <laughs> and let's go kill it. I love the side hustle. I started as a side hustle. So, you know, that's yeah. that's me. I mean, look, it, it, the reason it's negative is because I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of things being said about the side hustles that aren't true. You know, you're going to make $10 million in a side hustle working five hours a week. I mean, in, in that case, it does deserve a little bit of the stigma attached to it, right? I mean, there's a lot of internet gurus making a lot of money telling people they're going to make a zillion dollars working two hours a week in their underwear. So, 
I can kind of understand where the negativity, but you know, in something like detailing or something like distribution, you can definitely add a thousand, two thousand, five thousand to your monthly bottom line, and that's an incredibly positive thing. Let's just say you were a teacher. I mean, look, firefighters have been the the the, the kings of side hustle pretty much our whole lives, right? They work what forty eight on, you know, and twenty four off, or twenty four on and forty eight off. And they have lawn care businesses in your neck of the woods or or whatever they have. They build decks in the summer. Side hustles can be awesome. The, the stigma behind them right now is all of this. You're going to do something, not work really hard and make a ton of money. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You're one of those that has hated on the side hustle. Like, yeah, so, I mean, hey, I, I guess right I am personally selling you. I mean, yeah, 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 I mean, you're gonna you're gonna sell on Amazon and make eight billion dollars. I mean, you know, in one hour a week. I mean, it's like, yeah, that's not it's not what we're talking about here. But guys out there, you know, using their hands and making a legitimate living, it's been happening forever, and I, I cheer that on. And we definitely see that taking place in hyperclean through distribution, but also, like you said, guys that just detail on the weekends and make a really nice extra little bit of money for themselves and enjoy it in the process. I think that's great. And it's not just little, right? The lawyer I talked to, he said he's paying off his family's house. Like that is why he's got the detailing side hustle is to pay off his family's house. Like he's like, I love, he loved the amount of money that he was making. It, It was pretty cool. All right. So you, you were talking about some stuff that you watched this weekend, but I'm taking, you haven't gotten into the sleepovers yet. Right. They haven't gotten no. into kids no. coming over and crashing. So all the dads that are out there that 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 know the sleep overnight, right? Like you, you almost kind of want to like beat your chest, throw up the little peace sign because you, you never know what you're getting. You really don't. Like kid might be good until they come in that door and the parents walk away. And you're right. like, did, did I just get a Tasmanian devil? Like wh- what just happened? Some people are like, oh, boys will be boys, you know, uh, or trucks, trucks. That that's really an interesting thing, right? When you get these random things that happen, like kids nonstop going crazy, or you get into a truck and you go, yeah, trucks are trucks? I don't know. That's the way I felt when I was in, in a Titan. I chose the Titan over, well, we just saw inside of the specialist group, we just saw the 23 Tundra. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I'm going to say something about the Tundra. Been a great vehicle. Most people didn't think Toyota was going to last with the Tundra. When a Tundra came out, everybody thought it was a big mistake. Nobody's going to buy a Toyota truck. Well, Toyota kind of proved you wrong on that one, as they've kind of been doing for 20, 30, 40 years now. Here's the thing I don't understand about the new Tundra. This happens, I think the new Silverado's kind of like this. This has just been happening to trucks. A lot of plastic. A lot of big lettering of Tundra on the back. It's like stamped in, I think, to the tailgate like the Silverado is. It's like, I don't know, man. The redesign, the front end looks really good. But we're back into this. Whoa, hold on. The front end looks good? That was going to be my part when I, if like, if we did a buy and sell on the Tundra, I'm selling that front end. I think it looks hideous. You got that honeycomb, plus it looks like a Corolla. It's got that, that's why you like it. Because you yeah. just loved, yeah, yeah, okay, makes sense. Never yeah. mind. Yeah, so I'm not going to take shit from a dude that drives a Titan. So let's let's make sure that we're all very clear on the Pints and Polishing podcast here that your taste in trucks, I realize the Titan's done you well, but for looks-wise, not a good truck. No, nah, looks-wise, um, no. But, <laughs> so. but good truck, yeah, because that's what Sean put in the specialist group. 
He's like, yeah, man, I chose a Titan over over it also. Yeah, so I think Tundra, especially, let's just call it the second generation on, I think they've done a good job with it. I just don't understand all the plastic, right? I get it. It's cheaper. It saves Toyota money. It's a way to, to not have to paint so many body panels, et cetera. But I kind of look at it and I just go, you know, you remember the Chevy Avalanche, the original version, plastic everywhere. I just don't like the fact that Toyota went so heavy plastic. But look, those trucks sell like crazy. They're going to last forever. We got a Tundra in my business, an older Tundra. That thing's like a tank, just keeps running, no issues. And, and you know, when you buy a Toyota, the other good thing is they don't really go down in value. You know, I, I mean, it just, they just hold their value. So I think the new Tundra is is got a little bit of a plastic issue and a little bit of putting Tundra all over the place, which I don't really love from any manufacturer. But overall, it's always going to be a sturdy truck. I mean, it's it's a Toyota. That's true. Sturdy, but, I mean, when you shut the door, you'd like it to feel like a truck when you shut the door, you know? Like, yeah, that's, that's true. All that's I all mean, you know, I, <laughs> Nissan Titan, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. What a manly man's truck. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin's over there going, God damn, man, you get your dog. Man, God, I can't believe it, dude. These Rams are sweet. <laughs> all right, so we talked a little bit a second ago about, which is really cool to see, how many distributors got out this weekend? Right, they got out, got out to car shows. That that is the crew, and it was awesome to see people then posting the, the photos and then commenting inside of it about you know, hey, it takes time, but once people start using the HyperClean products, they just keep coming back and they want them because they love the ease of use, they love everything that we do as a crafted car care brand. the <laughs> The cool part, which I want to say for just a moment, is you know I've talked to so many people about distribution. And so many people that start at level one and then get to level two, but so many that are at level one that never really get out there, right? Like yeah. we saw, we saw it was so cool. Like whether it was, you know, they put their bottles up along the tops of a tent or got completely brand new tents and they're all graphic to, Hey, I'm going to just be at this cars and coffee. Listen, yeah. Mildred, it was awesome. He was like, listen, I'm just rolling up my top. I'm just rolling up the it. back of my car and I'm going to be it. here, right? Like there's it. so many different ways that people went after it. Yep. But there's also so many that never even took the step to yeah. get to that point. And yeah, that is I'm the other head scratching side of it. You see the success. You see people taking advantage of the opportunity. Yep. But then some just want to let it pass I think by. That's, I think that's business 101, right? I mean, that, that, that explains why some guys struggle to get their detailing business off the ground. They won't go, you know, kiss babies and shake hands and knock on doors and, and, and go do sales calls and get their name out there. And there's some guys that are going to do that. And every guy that ends up doing that somehow 10 years later has a really successful business. So do you, right? think, I mean, that, do, yeah. do you think that's through their – they know – there's some people that just know what to do, or do you think there's some people that go, ah, Every, I got to try to figure knows, it out. Everybody knows what to do. I, I've, yeah. I've talked to so many guys that it, it, I always say this, everybody knows how to eat a healthy meal. Okay. You know, you need a protein, you need a vegetable, you need a little bit of carbohydrate. It's just easier to go to Chick-fil-A, go to Wendy's, go to McDonald's, go to wherever, right? It's just easier. And you tell yourself, well, ah, that's all I could do. But you know what a healthy meal is, 100 out of 100 times, every one of us. But, you know, you go to that other stuff. You go to the easy stuff. 
And I think there's a lot of guys. And look, I talked to somebody recently. He's like, yeah, man, I, I kind of knew everything you said to me right now is what I needed to do. I just wasn't doing it. I mean, really honest moment from a guy like, and I told him, I said, hey, man, do this for 24 months. If it ain't for you, it ain't for you. Go get a job. No harm, no foul. But if you're not going to put the time in, don't even take the 24 months, right? So this is where you get into eight out of 10 small businesses fail. They fail for a lot of reasons, but a lot of reasons are really simple, such as they didn't do the work. And when you don't have a name in a business, I don't care if it's a plumbing business, carpentry business, uh, you know, a car sales business or detailing, if you don't get your name out there and we can have this argument of, you know, I, online marketing and stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, all that stuff has to go into it. You got to do everything. And the first thing you got to do when you're a local business is you got to go tell people that you're in business. And that's going to mean a lot of doors shut in your face. And that's why a lot of guys don't do it. Right. You know that, Marty. I mean, yeah, the, that's the what I was going to say. Yeah. The hardest I, thing to overcome is somebody slamming a door in your face. Yep. Is we don't like hearing no. We want to go someplace and have 100 percent sales because we believe in something. And so that yep. person should, too. And it yep. really hits our ego. It really hits our ego when somebody says, nah. Like, I call, what? Look, I called, I called you last week. I mean, I had mm -hmm. a bunch of meetings set up in Phoenix, and then I called you first day I was there. I was like, woo, got a couple icy receptions in the place, <laughs> some places I stopped into. And you're like, yeah? I'm like, just is what it is, right? You just learn to accept it, and you have a laugh about it when you get back in your vehicle or you call a buddy and you go, dude, you won't believe it. This guy just kind of shut the door in my face, and you move on with your life. Uh, if you're not prepared for no, I think it's pretty safe to say you're not going to make it in business because nobody really believes in you. We can all sit here and say, hey, my mom believes in me. My wife believes in me. Not really. I mean, they're not going to go out with you. They're not going to go out and do the work. They're just going to tell you you're doing a good job when you know you aren't. Right. I mean, that's not really belief. And so you're on this island by yourself and you got to realize people are going to shut the door in your face. It's no big deal to me. I know I'm doing the right thing. And this is the way I've always looked at it. I don't know if this will help guys. I knew I had something to offer people. That's it. That's what got me through it. It's like, hey, man, if you don't want to buy it, cool. You don't want to buy it. But I know I got something to offer you. I know I do a good job. I know I'm a good person. I know I run an honest business. Hey, man, if it's not for you, if it's not for you. And I never really thought about it more than that. I mean, maybe that sounds really stupid to guys. I'm sure it does. But I just didn't want to get caught up in thinking, that what this guy shutting the door in my face, that he was right because he didn't even give me five minutes to tell him what I was doing. And it happened last week. It's look, I'm 13 years into business ownership. Uh, we're going into three years business ownership on HyperClean, you and I together. The door gets closed in your face all the time. I mean, we have story after story just at HyperClean. It's amazing now that the tide has kind of turned how all those people are returning the phone calls, all those people are wanting to get involved. And so, you know what, man? Once the snowball starts to roll downhill, everybody jumps on board. It, it's kind of what we see in detailing products across the board and distribution of major online outlets, right? I mean, they just jump on whatever they think is getting hot and they don't build anything. And that's why I think those, those, those parts of the business are under real pressure as times start to change. So another part of the industry that's under pressure, like this has been really fascinating for me. So I, I got rented. We talked about it. It's no real major issues. I was the, the third, you know, so got some damage to the Jeep, though. Need to go to the body shop. Interesting. Okay. What do you normally do, right? When you get hit and you go to the body shop, are, are you the guy that just takes the check? 
Do you have like a, a number? Do you have a, a formula? Because I'm normally the guy that goes, all right, well, what can we do with this? Right? Like yeah. maybe I could take the cash or maybe, maybe we could do something with the cash. I don't know. What do you do? Yeah. My, my last accident, look, we were in a totaled situation. It was totaled immediately, but I have been in a, in a fender bender in my life. And yeah, I take the cash and do what's best for the car right? Look, you could have it happen a couple ways. You could take the cash, look at the car and go, okay, I'm going to fix this and sell it. And I still have money left over to get my new one, right? That happens all the time. You could also be the guy like in your situation, you have a Jeep, very easy to upgrade, very easy to add some accessories to. So if you look at it and go, hey, I want to upgrade my rear bumper. Maybe I got enough to upgrade my rear bumper, my front bumper, maybe do some rims and tires happens all the time. Uh, people don't think it, but you know, you have a, a Jeep that's paid off. You know, you get some type of insurance check, and you go, "Ah, what am I going to do here? Right? What do I really want to do here?" And, and look, last time we got a settlement uh, for the accident because it was so severe. I took that and put it into cars that I resold and turned it into more profit. And so I think this is what people don't do. And I just had this incident with with a with a friend of mine. He just got a Range Rover used to him, but still in great shape. Was so excited about it. I saw him two weeks earlier, got hit in a hit and run like two weeks after I saw him. He calls me freaking out. I said, dude, relax. They, they fix these all the time. Like I get it. It's your baby. You're, this is one of your life's goals for a car owner. I get it, man. Call these two people. Make sure your insurance doesn't bully you. Call me if there's a problem. He, he texted me. He goes, dude, this worked out great. Ended up you know, kind of ended up upgrading the vehicle afterwards. So I think you just got to handle it as it comes and not be the person in a rush. That's when people mess up. Like, I, you know, if your car's immobile, that's a, that's a different conversation. But a straight up rear end, like in your situation, calm down, start talking to some people, see if you can't make it work to your advantage and, and see what happens. Well, so to me, I, I'm not usually accused of being too much of a car guy. Right, because I don't turn a lot of wrenches. I just like to clean cars. I enjoy yeah. cars. I love driving them, but I've had the same cars for a long time. So most people go, "Well, you're not a car guy." Okay, cool. When it comes to, hey, take this check and go do. I mean, most people, I think you go, "Well, do I do I put it in the bank or maybe yeah. you, you're you're one of those thrifty guys and you go save it?" Okay, cool. Most of us go, okay. What do I spend it? Right. And I could yeah. buy a TV or, you know, I could go do something for the house. I go, okay, what should I upgrade on the Jeep? I did this and that's how I got the steel bumper on the front. It's crazy, right? I'm sitting at a stop, a stop sign in the neighborhood and somebody runs into the front bumper. <laughs> a lot of right? things like, going out in Oklahoma over there. <laughs> Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Mm. So I'm talking to Bill. I always go back to the same spot and, I always go there because this guy was actually a customer of mine. The guy that owns this body shop was a F&I guy at the Honda store down the street. Got it. And really cool. He buys it because the other guy had gotten into some financial troubles, didn't run his books right, right? We've talked yeah. about this, how important it is to always run your books right. Well, some guy gets into trouble. So the finance guy at a dealership buys this body shop, then finds this guy named Bill that pretty much runs it. and. I'm talking to Bill, who always handles you when you come in, yeah. and we're talking about what to do on the Jeep. He makes a really interesting statement. He talks about how the reason why he moved over to the body shop world 
was because during all these big influxes, ups and downs of economy, he was in the restoration world of the body shops. You know, $60,000 restoration yeah. thing or this and that. And he, he talked he about talked how business. many people just stopped doing that during yeah. tougher times and how this side of the business was so much better. The interesting part of that conversation was he talked about how I could swap out that back bumper and I could get the side steps too because the aftercare market, he said, is over 50% down. He said yep. it's in a massive tailspin straight to the bottom. Yep. Really, really interesting. Yeah, so you, you have something that happened here. So think about supply and demand, right? They couldn't get any supply of anything automotive related throughout COVID. So what happens? All those orders start to backlog. Well, as these companies catch up, what do you now have? Because you can never time it perfectly, right? You had all this demand during COVID, but you couldn't get anything. After you run through that demand, all your orders start showing up and you look around and go, damn, we got a lot of bumpers in here. You know, damn, we got a lot of headlights in here. Wow, we got a lot of aftermarket tire and wheel packages. Wow. So what happened? It just, a cycle turned on them. They cashed in for two or three years. So then they kept ordering supply, thinking this is never going to stop. And now all of a sudden it stopped. It went back to normal and they got COVID levels amount of supply on the way, which by the way, most of this stuff is made overseas. So once it's in the container, it's not like you can say, hey, can you hold? It's like, no, man, you're waiting six, eight weeks on the boat. These guys can't stop it. And so what happened? You, you multiply that by what? Roughly 5,000 aftermarket companies that are probably just doing Jeep bumpers. Imagine the amount of supply that you have just in Jeep bumpers. We're not even talking about Ford Raptors and all these other different avenues. People are going lift kits and all this kind of stuff. So look, everybody made their hay for two or three years in that part of the business. And now it's going to catch up to them. And you know, now the question is, do they just make more profit? Do they, you know, just price it the same, make 50% margin on the parts, which they don't normally do. Everyone's going to run it a little different. Shops that stay busy, they're going to keep making that 50% just on the equipment. And so it could be really profitable for those top end guys that do really high end work. It could. And for everybody else, it goes, all right, if, if you're in the market, <laughs> if you we'll need aftermarket, Now's the time, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it is funny. You don't think about things like bumpers, sidebars. You don't think about the fluctuation that can happen. But Im immediately when people stop doing it, which we know is happening, they're already oversupplied, right? The minute that it ticks down even a little bit, they're in oversupply. Like, because people need to realize this. When we're talking about bringing over multiple containers, one little tick down and you're oversupplied because they have to have stuff on the way all the time. Otherwise, they're screwed. And so they automatically, like instantaneously, if this thing slows down 20%, which it definitely has for them, they're oversupplied. Like it doesn't take very much and it's boom, you're right into a problem. Yeah. So the other part of that, which I talked about just saying, you know, the other part of that conversation that was also, you know, we could all learn from it is what he talked about over the years right? What we have talked about is the same as he talked about, which we hear from most people that have been in business for a long period of time is where they eventually find what they really enjoy. They don't like all the crazy ups and downs and they like a good, steady, regular type of work that they can come back and 
we listen, we got to put props out. We've already heard good feedback on it. We did a really great deep dive recently on Uno, HyperClean Uno, yep. one year ceramic coating. And you want to talk about a product that is fit for regular uh, once a year, get that customer back to you. Not always this big thing, but a regular steady, which we yep. said in, a, in an illustration easy before. Team, easy yep. to build, easy for customers to understand. Man, when times get tough, people are very, very cautious to do things they don't understand. And remember, most car guys, most people that are going to purchase PPF or five-year ceramic, they don't know what the hell it is. You can sit here and, you know, they can kind of guess. But mostly you're selling something they don't understand. When you're talking about a one-year ceramic coating where you're just washing, deconning, and putting a coating on, look, man, most of those people have had a wash and wax. They've had a wash and sealant. They've had the so so it's a very simple product to sell a bunch of times. And again, the biggest shop owners that we know are trying to find out how to sell more of them, not less. Hmm. That's the interesting part people need to hear. The biggest businesses that we know, you and I individually know, constantly say to us, man, I I wish I could sell 10 of these a day. My staff loves them. I love them. Low headache, really great for the customer, really easy to understand. And so when you go into tougher times, it's going to be important. If you haven't jumped on that train, that's fine. You need to not have so much pride that you don't jump on the train and understand that there's an incredible amount of value. Because the reason a lot of guys go out of business during bad times is they don't adapt. They don't realize that, hey, man, I can't easily sell a $2,500 ticket. I need to figure out some things to keep some revenue coming in, keep my business moving forward. And this is, again, let's, let's, let's pop the bubble on something. Just because I do something lower cost does not mean it's not high profit. It's actually, in, in the UNO case, very different. Uh, those types of packages are highly profitable while being lower cost. And again, if you can make a lot of profit on something, I don't care if it's even a low number, that's a win for any business in the world, doesn't matter who it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here's here's the interesting thing that I thought of this weekend that I, you know, I I know you shared about the things you watched. And, you know, within a couple of years, I think those are going to change to a lot brighter colors and less morbid. <laughs> I think that uh, you'll see like cartoon figures be dancing around your screen hey, more. We're, we're there. We're there. Oh, you're there, I can, huh? I can, I, I can figure out some cult, you know, some time to watch some crazy cults from Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, come on. I, I got 24 hours in a day, Marty. I can do both. So you're there on the cartoons, all right? Here's, I think, a, a fun thing that you, you start to look at at these cartoons because I always find it fascinating what they teach, right? Every cartoon actually has a lesson that they always try and oh, yeah. teach kids, right? Always. And, you know, I watched the the, the latest one uh, that was Illuminaries or something like that. I don't know. It had the, the different uh, fire and earth and, you know, all that gotcha. fun stuff, right? Any of the movies that have some type of business owner as a character, those I I very much find to where I'm sitting there and like like I said to you earlier, like sometimes you sit there on the couch and you look over at the, you know you're watching the movie with your family and you're sort of like, oh okay, but why do they portray these business owners this way, right? Like that's what I've always found kind of fascinating about these little cartoons and everything that goes on, right? Like, why do people portray something this way? We we do this when we look at post 
that happen on social media, right? Like, yeah. why do people portray certain things on social media? Now, you were sent a post specifically that we want to get into. So walk us through that post, like walk us through what we're about to get into. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a post we've probably seen, I mean, conservatively, thousand times, right? It's somebody usually in a smaller town, smaller city, kind of saying wild things about you can't charge this, you can't charge that, you can't, you know, can't have the race to the bottom, you know, you got to charge for your skill and, you know, don't race to the bottom and, and, you know, don't be cheap and don't price things cheap. And I think you and I kind of look at it and go, the interesting thing about these posts is there's never any numbers. What should somebody charge? That's never in the post. It's just a post that the same type of person likes, the same type of person comments. Yeah, man, what a great point. It's the same thing. You, you can see it if somebody makes a TikTok video like this, if somebody is in a Facebook group posting this. And I think we need to talk about, you know, start in one specific place, right? And that specific place is this idea of somebody on the internet Facebook group, whatever, telling you, don't race to the bottom, don't charge cheaply, don't do this. I find it fascinating, and maybe you do as well, and I'll, I'll ask you this question. Why is there never a price telling me what is cheap, why it's cheap, and then what I should be charging for that service and an explanation of why I should charge that? Hmm. That's a great question. I, I mean... Most people, I guess, probably don't have that mindset, like of whereabouts of what somebody should be charging, right? Like, yeah, we we've tried really hard not to do that. Yeah, just so people know, we get asked all the time, "What should I charge for this? What should I charge for that?" We've always said the same thing: nobody knows your bills, nobody knows your skill level, nobody knows your city better than you do or should. Nobody knows exactly what your cost is to run your mobile unit or to run your shop. This idea that there's a blanket way to run your business, a blanket way to price your services, you and I have never, ever, ever come on here and said, this is what you should charge. We've never engaged in that. And the reason is, is because it's impossible. If you live in San Diego, Los Angeles, Vegas, Miami, New York, Chicago, dude, your cost is exponentially higher than most of the United States. So what am I going to tell somebody that lives in, you know, small town, wherever, how the hell do I know what he should charge? I mean, I, I'm operating business in Vegas and you're operating in Tulsa and, and we got people operating. Everybody charges a little differently. But the thing I guess that I get frustrated the most by is it seems like somebody wants to be helpful, but give no helpful advice. They're just kind of saying it to rile people up. You know, yeah. like, yeah, don't, don't, don't race to the bottom. Yeah. It's like, what, what are we and, talking about? And I'd look at those people and I go, dude, have you never been at the bottom? Like, I'm never going to tell somebody don't race to the bottom. Don't charge something low because I was at the bottom. I charged $25 for a wash and vac. Right. Like yeah, we, you talk about how a bunch of people that do that. A bunch they, they, of people they, 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 I started that way. Absolutely. Right. Like I'm never going to just outrate. No way. Because I charged that. I was, listen, as we got into SEMA and get all started getting into visualization of people and meeting people. I've shared this story. I had a guy of a major company tell me to get out of the gutter. 
Like, yeah. but then people want to talk about the trenches, like telling me to get out of the gutter. Like I got no problem with somebody charging 25 bucks for a washing back because if they can do a lot of them, huh, yeah. what are they going to yeah. do? Make a lot of money. Yeah. Why does it matter and, what somebody charges? And, and I always say this. The people that post this that think they're being helpful, I, I honestly don't think they're trying to be helpful. It's sort of like a Republican saying these five top talking points and a Democrat saying these five talking points, and they always know they're going to get a cheer. Like these guys know the 20 people that are going to comment, yeah, man, it's such a smart post. It's like, okay, it isn't. Here's why. The reason you can't give me a number is, let's just call it a $1,000 coding package. Okay, let's just use a blank number. Should the one-year guy and the 10-year guy charge that? Should the two-year guy and the 15-year guy charge that? Who should charge that? The reason you can't give numbers in most cases is these doofuses don't know the numbers. Okay, because they, like I said, they usually live in some small town that has 5,000 people and they're not even really in a competitive market. Good on you, man. But you're now trying to give advice to the industry. So relax, take a deep breath and understand you're not giving any value. And so here's the crazy thing. Everybody starts at year one somewhere. Yeah. Now you're telling me don't race to the bottom. What if that guy's in year one, has no overhead, is still living with his parents, doesn't have a high level of skill set, has the ability to get a coating on a car, but he doesn't have your skill at year 10? Well, what's he supposed to charge? Well, the reason they can't answer that is because what they're looking at is they're saying, don't have a race to the bottom. Okay, my man, but you got to start talking to the people who are getting their start. This is something you and I have talked about a lot in auto detailing. We've had a lot of guys skip steps. <clears throat> what I mean by that is a lot of guys went to a training, started polishing cars and putting on ceramic coatings. I can tell you that the vast majority of people detailing cars don't have the skill to do a four-figure detail, right? Because we know most people are beginners. Very few people make it to the 10-year mark. So the vast majority of people don't have the skill to charge me as a customer, me individually, $1,000. They don't have the polishing skill. They're just getting their start. They don't know what coding to choose. Most of them are choosing bad coatings. They don't have $1,000 skill. But if they were to start with learning to exterior detail a car, interior detail a car, charge 250 bucks, get their start, go through the progression as so many of us did, by the time they got to 1000 bucks, they'd blow by that right? Their skill would be so far beyond that. What we're trying to do in these posts is tell guys to start at the end of the book. And nobody who's successful starts at the end of the book. They start at the beginning, they do this, they do that, they move on, they go up the ladder. You know, most people don't start at the end of the book. And so one of the things that makes me really frustrated about these posts is they never tell you where to start. And so most of the time, they're talking about a 10-year career and, and again, most of them are not as successful as they try to portray to you. And we have some real stories about that of guys basically having product companies go out of business and then tell you how smart they are in the business. I'm here to tell you that there's a real thing about all of this that, that frustrates me is, look, man, you're not going to make money making 20 bucks an hour. Okay. You got too many costs in a business. Let me be clear about that. But we know the range. You need to try to make somewhere between 85 and 200 plus dollars an hour if you want your business to, su to succeed long term. But when you get your start, man, that 85 bucks an hour can come in a lot of different forms. Well, and you got to do a lot of stuff that maybe other people don't do what they used to do. 
right? Like you gave the example when we talked, and this is why I want to bring it up, is LeBron's salary versus a rookie going into the league, right? Like that's a great illustration for us to kind of start piecing this together. As somebody progresses through their skill set and their ability to play with others well, and their ability to stay out of trouble, and their ability to have a good face for the company, right? There's a lot that goes into not just their skill set, but as that person progresses through the league and if they can stay at that same team or get some chance to go, you know, jump over into this other team that needed what they've been doing, right? They will progress. You got to think of this the same way inside of our own is skill set the thing that people want when it comes to detailing is skill set the thing that customers want do they want somebody that listen we had to have this conversation earlier people made comments on our one of our posts that that we had because we used a videographer that used a detailer that completely missed part of a rim yeah right like yeah. but that guy wants to progress through but he didn't see, and so he missed his rim. He missed some things, right? So skill set is you do have to be able to clean a car. Like you do yeah. have to be able to work with people. You do have to be able to talk to others and set like there is a progression through it that's not just skills. Yeah. I and, think the the reason yeah. you were saying the person that usually puts this out is that 10-year guy. But I've seen it from the three to five year guys too. That's true. And I think it's, and I'll let you finish the sentence because it's it's where we both agree on. It's not just their longevity in business, but there's a certain skill set that they yeah. they say is the top. And if you paint achieve that, specialist. you've arrived. Paint correction specialist. I'm a paint correction specialist. Those guys seem to to be the leaders of this, you know, general conversation that doesn't make any sense. None of them have numbers. None of them can actually give, you know, let's, let's write a thousand word post with a bunch of examples and why you should do it this way. And here's how you get there. And here it's just a bunch of general be Oh, I'm, I'm a paint correction specialist and I'm watching people race to the bottom. I got news for you, bud. The minute the DA polisher got as good as it is now, your skill set was already diminished. Plain and simple. I know 99% of people couldn't achieve a great result with a rotary all the way through all the steps. You watched it in your career. I watched it in my career. The minute the DA polisher was invented and we're where we are with compounds and polishes and pad technology, it was already a diminished skill set. So this idea you're going to sell your skill set when, by the way, the biggest shops I talk to, and I'm talking about guys that move millions of dollars. I'm not talking about a guy that's really awesome at paint correction sitting in his garage correcting paint. I'm talking about guys with millions of dollars in business every year. I want you to think something funny. They all say the same thing. Oh, I can teach a monkey to correct paint. That's their exact words now. That wasn't the words when I started my career. It wasn't the words you, when you started your career. I'm telling you, this is what they say now. I don't like that it's that way. I'm not the one that made it that way. I'm not the one. i just telling you how it is. And why do they say that? Because they're going to give them the exact pad, the exact speed, the exact pressure. They're going to move them through a car. They're going to get 90 plus percent correction on a two, two step. And again, man, I realize there, yeah, there's a, I realize there's a lot of people that talk about the 1% of paint correction guys. 
But remember, that's 1%. So if 10 of these people post this kind of talk, only one of them is really elite. The other nine aren't. That's the thing people need to realize, is if 10 quote-unquote paint correction specialists post something like this, one of them's elite. And I'm telling you that right now, the one never posted anything. And that's where we get into the other part of this. Big dogs don't worry about stuff like this. Mm. You want to be successful in business? This isn't, I, I just met with a bunch of shops last week. I'm on the phone with another 10 shops today. I'm sitting here telling you, you know how many people talk like this in successful businesses? Not a single one of them. Phoenix is one of the most competitive markets in the United States, probably top three most competitive price-wise. You know how many of those shops said any of this kind of stuff to me? Nobody. They didn't say any of it. They just talked about the marketing they're doing, their sales team. I mean, I heard more about sales team in Phoenix than I ever heard anything portraying this kind of talk. Well, and I think as as I was listening to you say that, I, I, I remembered, uh, you know, over the past years, how big correction got, right? Like, and so many people, right? Like, it was just, I'm a paint correction, right? And it was just this so badge stupid. of honor. To where even some people started sending out trophies and stuff, right? Like, it, it was really interesting. And now there's this really kind of emergence of people starting to go, hey, why is there all this, like, anger why is everybody now fighting against paid correction it's like well i don't think yeah, everybody man. was i i think yeah, now yeah. that there's i think off, those, i don't i think those guys are really starting to hurt and that's why i think they're starting to push more out against people yeah man look i think paint correction is great it was the basis of me being in this business so i don't want anybody to get a a, a different type of vibe for me i mean it Marty, this is how I got into business. You know, I was in wholesale work and I had a DeWalt seven inch in my hand and 3M compound and polish. And, and that was my business. That, that's what I did. That's how I made my money. The world changes, man. And when you continue, I, I don't know a better way to, to kind of shit on people that don't see the world the way you see it. You're not inviting them to be in part of your group and say, hey, man, let's talk about all the benefits of paint correction and doing it at a high level and how we all can make money on it. Essentially, here's what happened. This is an interesting, and we didn't plan on talking about this, but I think it's interesting. As more and more people were teaching guys to sand cars and to use a rotary and to do 50-step correction, you know what's hey, funny? Hey, you remember you know, I interviewed the first guy that ever sanded a car? <laughs> I do remember you let him off the hook. Yeah, oh. I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember you. I sanded the first car. Wow, that's that's something. You're not even old enough to have done that, but you did it from the womb. That's that's pretty impressive. Uh, so, the thing that I think is interesting is as these trainings popped up and they concentrated on paint correction. You know, everybody that we talked to that came from them, they didn't know how they were going to make money with it. So they taught you a skill, and they didn't teach you how to monetize it. And the reason they didn't teach you how to monetize it is because largely they didn't know how. I've talked to a bunch of guys that I know for 20 years in this business that are freaking awesome technicians, man. I mean, these guys are magic with a polisher. I've had those guys hit me up for money to pay rent. I've had, I've had them hit me up for money to bail them out of a problem because they didn't have any money. I've had a, a lot more than not, and I don't envy them. But I always tell them the same thing, man. You're trapped, and now you got to figure a way out, or you got to go work for somebody, and you got to go get them to monetize your skill. And it's always the same answer. And I'm not saying that's everybody. A large percentage of people that have chased that in their career are super passionate about it, work their ass off at it, and they deserve credit for that. 
but they didn't see the world change. And now as we go to thinner and thinner clear coats, guess what's under attack again? Just like when the DA was invented, it took skill and made it much more repeatable and a lot more people could acquire it. And now you have two mils of paint coming out of the factory and it ain't going back. You have these guys under attack again and they get on and they talk about the race to the bottom and it's the same people. And like you said, they all seem to share one thing. They're paint correction guys, right? And they want to tell you about their skill and they're, they're obsessed with skill. Hey man, again, 1% of those guys is for real. Wow. So if there's a hundred posts, it, it just isn't that many people. And and a big reason I think why over the years I always had a hard time with them is I understood that the moment, right? The the moment that we've been at for the industry, for the economy, for everything from 17 as I started getting into the, the national front of it all, uh, you know, he was like, guys, this is this is a magical time. Right? Like yeah, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. <laughs> it was magic. It, it was unbelievable. And to to hear what people always, you know, We've said it. It is great to have a $4,500 ticket. It's great to have a $2,000. It's incredible to have those kind of numbers. And so I want to talk to the guys. And when I read this post and look through it, there's something that, that really stuck out to me. And as I mentioned a second ago about the, you know, being in the, the, in a, you know, trenches, right. Grinding, right. Like we, we've all been in that spot. The purpose is not staying there. The mindset of not staying at $25, I was never afraid of working for $25. I just knew that if I could get enough $25, what that would make, right? Like, what would it make yeah. if I went into a car wash and we just wash cars at $10, but it only took us, well, front to finish three minutes, right? Like, yeah. what would that mean? Like, so inside of that post, he talks about, you know, corporations and these big businesses can do all these things. Whereas, Hey, you know, that's us little guys. We can only do two cars a day. Whoa. No, you can. Yeah. Like, whoa, that's where I really went. Whoa. And that's where part of the industry is. I really started to have battles and like really start to, to say some things to people is because like, whoa, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's you, but. Yeah, my, I've never my, team had can, the... my team can touch over 100 cars a day. Yeah. So, yeah, you can do two cars a day. Your mindset can do two cars a day. Your services can do two cars a day, which probably can't even do two cars a day. If you're saying two cars a day, you're probably doing close to zero cars a day, and you're sitting on cars multiple days. And, look, there's some services that are well worth that. You know, you do full-body PPF, you're charging 10000 plus for it. Hey, man, the car sits in your shop for a few days, no big deal. Don't get me wrong. All this stuff has a place. That's what people don't understand. All this stuff has a place when you can monetize it. That's what guys don't understand. If I can monetize, like you said, in a car, I mean, car wash make, car washes make millions of dollars. They're not a bunch of buffoons. Okay. They're, they're not. PDR guys aren't a bunch of buffoons. There's plenty of businesses out there making it work, doing volume. That doesn't mean that's what you have to do. That doesn't mean that's what you have to believe in. That doesn't mean that's how you have to set up your business. But when you start putting things on the internet like you're an expert, you better have your shit in line. You better know the numbers. You better know what you're talking about. And this is what the internet's changed. Now anybody can say anything regardless of their experience or their success level. Right? Nobody knows the backstory. 
I mean, look, I'll share a shop where I saw some disturbing pictures of what they're selling PPF on a Lamborghini. Marty, you could do it with no training. You could have done what they did. You look at their shop on Instagram, looks like one of the nicest shops in America. Okay. You think they're charging 3000 for a full front end. Wrong. 1500 Not even profitable with that big of a shop. The work was atrocious. The internet has allowed people to hide and act like they know something without providing any value. And I think the thing to get, you know, towards the end of this conversation that I want people to take from this, when you look through the lens of, is this valuable? Is this post valuable? I want to ask a question. When there's no numbers and somebody's talking about what not to do price-wise, where's the value? Where's the value? We're, we're having a big moment here in detailing, but I think you're probably having it in a lot of different industries. And, and, and I'm specifically talking to a couple guys about internet stuff. It's really interesting how people will post things about the internet and what you should do on the internet with no financial understanding of it, right? They'll just be like, you know, you should trust us. Well, there's no money talk. Now, mind you, we all know that it comes down to money. Well, there's money talk like, hey, you'll make millions. Hey, you'll do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and, and it's it's really bad in detailing of recent where people are sharing. We'll get into that another time. But this is exactly the problem here with this post and these types of posts. We don't want to pick on one because we've literally seen thousands yeah. of these. Yeah. Tell me what I should charge. Tell me what it should cost my customer. Tell me why it should cost my customer that. How much? How many years should I have in? How many trainings do you think I should go to since you're probably one of those guys that thinks I should do that? Just tell me what, what the baseline of your opinion is. Not just riling your base up with general conversation, you know, talking points, I said, like political parties do, and be a person that steps up and goes, okay, let me break it down for you. The reason they don't break it down is because it's really not something we can break down. Nobody knows where you're at right now in your business. Nobody knows if you have a baby at home and no money in your bank. Plenty of people listening to us have been in that situation or maybe in that situation now. Let me tell you something. Making 25 bucks an hour looks pretty good with no money in your bank account. Okay? With kids that you have to feed or with a bill you have to pay or maybe you had a medical episode. Who the hell knows? I don't, you know, people get really talk about the race to the bottom. Let me tell you what those of us in the Sun Belt have been dealing with, just so small town Billy can understand. Guys call details out here and they're $10. You want to talk to me about the race to the bottom? If I sat here in my shop and worried about the race to the bottom for the last 13 years, I, I would have never got any work done. $10, people will call it a detail. And I hear about the race to the bottom from Billy Bob and, you know, podunk wherever with no competition. I'm here to so, tell you something, man. It's, it's, it's not what people think. Isn't that you think a characteristic of, you know, once you've, uh, in a sense, leveled up, as we talked about that example of rookie to LeBron, right? Like once you begin to level up in a sense, you no longer consider competition competition. It's just no. people, right? Like, yeah. It's just people you're around and yeah, I, yeah, there's people over there that do that. Yeah, sure. No problem. Right. Like that does become a certain point where you realize people don't say and talk about the cheap guys down the street anymore. No, no, no they don't. 
I think people would be very surprised about my trip to Phoenix. I met with a ton of people making a ton of money in great shops, great human beings, building teams. I never heard once about their competition. And I sat with some of these guys for hours, okay? We're talking about business conversations directly related to your competition, right? What are you charging? Why are you charging? All they did was walk through their numbers because I'm not going to waste my time with people. And, and this goes across the board. The minute I hear about how your competition but, 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 dot, 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 dot is doing, I'm out. Okay, I'm out because big dogs don't do that. You, you may think that they do. And maybe in their private time, they're going, man, you know, this guy down the street, I've had 15 phone calls. He's screwing up cars. I've certainly had that happen here in Vegas where guys ruin millions of dollars in cars. And now I have to deal with the aftermath with a coding company that doesn't want to do the right thing. I've had to deal with that. And in that moment, I had to understand what that, what that company was up to because they were damaging cars. But largely, I kind of laugh at competition, right? Meaning I laugh it off. When customers ask me, so-and-so is doing this, I don't know who he is. I don't know what kind of work he does. I don't know what qu kind of quality he does. You're, you're telling me something out of the blue. I'm not going to make a comment on those people. If they do well, we are all going to do well. You know, one of the things that people really misunderstand is that as more elite companies come into your area, the more people that are going to get detailing. And the more people that are going to get detailing, there's more people that are going to call you, right? So all these people are frightened about competition. And what you don't realize is more and more people call for detailing as they become more aware of detailing by their neighbor, their brother, their sister got a detail. And if those things are bad or cheap, the good people come to me. Now that doesn't happen overnight. I understand that. But if you're in business for real, you don't care about it happening overnight. You know, by doing the right things over and over again, I'm going to win in the end. I think the problem is a lot of guys don't know if they're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. And they might not be right. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's some of the most, uh, uh, as we unturn rocks and we dig and find out more, we go, Ooh, that is interesting. Yeah. And, but and, you know, here's the thing. That's the opportunity. Yep. The opportunity is if you honestly think you're doing the best stuff and you're doing the right thing and you actually are, then you welcome all those guys screwing up cars. Cause guess what? You get double the money. Somebody mm -hmm. comes in with a screwed up car now. Guess what? I'm like, hey, man, should have came to us, but this is the cost. It's usually double, right? You come up, come in with a real rotary <laughs> hologrammed up paint job instead of coming to me first because you wanted to save a buck. That that price just doubled. So I I just don't think a lot of guys getting their start think that guys in my position sit here and sweat what the competition's doing. I'm triple the price of, quote, unquote, a guy that's going to teach you how to make a seven-figure business, uh, you know, online here in the city. I charge triple what he charges. That's how concerned I am about his ability to build a, quote, unquote, seven-figure business. So that's just the way successful people think. And, look, I certainly didn't start out that way. I started out just getting details, man, interior, exterior, some paint correction when I could because I already had the skill set. I wasn't starting that moment in my life. I'd already been correcting paint for 12 years, but I couldn't just sell it to everybody. I didn't know how, right? Largely, I hadn't done very much of that. And so I started somewhere. And that's where these posts really frustrate me because we act like guys don't start somewhere. And yeah, man, you may start at 25 bucks. I know we got a distributor who's really successful now on the East Coast that started that way too. And he just remembers back like, hey, man, I got my start. And you know what? I made a lot of money at the time and I went out and partied and I enjoyed my life and I 
magically had money to spend. And yeah, maybe the $25 detail isn't as possible today with inflation and what stuff costs, but let's just say that's a $50 detail or a $55 detail. And at the end of the day, man, you get your start somewhere, but those that catch on, they're going to catch on really quick about what they need to charge. Yeah. The rest of them are just going to go out of business anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Here's to the journey, right? It's a great right, journey on to business. We'll great episode, guys. Week. We'll see you all next week.